Good morning, sir. Good morning. Long time no see. I know. It's been a little while. Yeah, I've missed you. Oh, thanks. <laughs> what have you been it's up nice to? nice to be missed. Yeah. Oh, you know, just just hanging out. Launching a course. <laughs> yeah, launching a course. Trying to make the last four months or so uh, mean something. So it's October 12th, a Thursday right now while we're recording. And I'm trying to launch this thing October 16th, uh, Monday. And I think I'm going to do it. I have what I hope is a pretty exhaustive list of everything that needs to be done before it can actually go out. I put time estimates on all those to-dos, and I think I'm going to be good to go. So the sort of like point of no return for this is sending the email to the list or to, to everyone um, about with all the details. And um, I'm planning on doing that right after this call, just about. Mm-hmm. So Nice. Cool. Was it? Was there like a moment when you all of a sudden start felt the pressure turn on? Because I know like anytime I've launched a big feature, it's like, it's usually, I don't know, a week or two before it actually goes live when you kind of like, you get enough stress that there's like a new sense of clarity about, oh crap, I have this whole list of things to do. Did you, did you ever have a uh, moment like that? It's happening right now. I'm in the moment. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. There's a lot to do still. Some of the things are a little bit unknown in terms of how long they will take me. So um, there's a little bit of stress there. I don't think it'll be too bad. And I also figure if I if it really goes sideways, I can push it back a week and nothing bad really happens. I, I think I kind of almost need that stress. Like I wish I were someone that were really great at discipline and could just push hard on a thing consistently and not need those deadlines. But I really am probably like two or three times as productive when that when a deadline starts looming. It's just like I'm, I'm better at, at making myself actually do the stuff and not get distracted and focus on what really needs to actually happen. And Yeah. I, I feel like that's not, that's not necessarily something unique to you. I think, it, I think we all kind of operate that way to a certain degree. When I think about like how we prioritize work on a SaaS app, like it's not like a fixed project where there's an end date. It's like a never-ending, long-running project. And it can be a little tricky to get that same motivational stress or whatever you want to call it into the flow of developing a SaaS app because it's like, well, there's always an endless pile of work to do and we just keep doing it at the, at the best rate we can. So I think like it's something I want to experiment with. We've already been seeing that on our platform team, the ones who handled kind of the ops and scaling side of Drip where they've started doing more regular work planning and time boxing of things and regular standups and check-ins. And I've always been like a little averse to overly putting too much process in place. I err on the side of no process over too much process, but I think I'm seeing the fruits of that. Like it's, it's already giving everyone a sense of like, all right, here are the things we need to accomplish, even though there's not some like client deadline or some kind of looming, like external force necessarily. It's like, it's just like, what, what are we committing to do? And when are we going to do it by? And there's a little bit of pressure amongst your peers to accomplish what you said you're going to accomplish. And I think that has really um, positive impacts on getting stuff done. Totally. Yeah. I'm, I'm aware it's probably not just me doing this. Those deadlines, I think they definitely help. Basecamp published an interesting post about how they schedule their work. And I think they said they do like eight-week projects or something like I think that. It's six or six or eight weeks, yeah. So, something like that. I, that's that's like a nice length. I think, it's, I think it makes sense. I think you're right. It probably is kind of like human nature where you work a little bit better when you know that there's a certain point where things need to be done by. And so you can, it helps you prioritize and helps you focus and all that. I, th- I think I should just surrender the guilt or just like give up the guilt on this one. Like just be like that. This is kind of how most people work, including myself. It's not a big deal. 
yes, it's going to mean I'm often doing a lot of work as a deadline approaches, but that just seems to be kind of how it is. Do you always work well under pressure? Some people like wear that as a badge of honor. You know, I, I was thinking about that. I don't know if I work well. I work pr- more productively under pressure, which is part of working well, I would say. My guess is my best work doesn't come when I'm stressed by a deadline, but the the volume of work is so much higher when the deadline is there that it might be close to best. So I'm not sure. Stepping back a bit, I have a story. Oh, let's hear it. Okay. So uh, speaking of... Uh, procrastination and deadlines. So I spoke at Rocky Mountain Ruby a couple weeks ago. The talk was on Friday. And the week before, like Thursday, I I started prepping my talk. Uh, Did a little bit on Thursday, did a little bit on Friday, but I was still very much in the notes phase. No slides and just kind of had like a a collection of topics and like this might be kind of an interesting arc. And uh, a really good friend of mine who normally lives in Hong Kong was in town and was like, hey, my parents' beach house is empty. Um, and we can go use that for a couple of days and hang out. And I was like, I have to say yes to this. Sweet. <laughs> yeah, like this is someone I just see so infrequently and we're such yeah. good friends and it was a great opportunity. And I was like, okay, this is going to put me um, behind in talk prep, but I'm going to try to do this anyway. And so I ended up going to his, his beach house and we were there like Monday through Thursday morning, mm-hmm. which was uh, a lot. That was aggressive. And the conference was when? Uh, the talk was on Friday. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so I, I was flying out Thursday night and speaking and speaking Friday afternoon. I was like, I'll bring my laptop and I'll get some work done during the while I'm at the the beach house. And I did some of that. And they didn't have uh, Wi-Fi working, so I was just working locally. Uh, I made a little bit of progress, but there still was actually a good amount to do. Uh, but I was like, okay, this is normally much tighter than I would cut it. But I have some notes. I'm, I've already started. And I have a four and a half hour flight from Boston to Denver. And then I'll land and I'll have that evening. And I don't speak until four the next day. So I can probably squeeze in the last minute stuff in the morning. This is not ideal. I, I normally want to be done earlier than this. Um, but I was like, I, I think I can make this work. And so Thursday evening rolls around. Uh, and I'm at the airport. Uh, left my friend behind. And I'm like, okay. I'm going to start at the airport and then I'm going to work on the flight. And so I open up my laptop and it's dead. No. And I plug it in. I'm like, oh, I just need to charge it a little bit. And I charge it for a while and it's still dead. And it's actually like totally will not respond to anything. I did like the SMC reset. I did the like all these like different Mac reset tricks. Nothing made anything work. It was just completely unresponsive. And so I was like, wow, I'm now uh, a little screwed kind of. Because now I can't work on the talk on the flight, really, or when I land. And I guess I'm going to go first thing in the morning and buy a new laptop and try to write my talk. And because there was no Wi-Fi at the house, I was working on the talk locally. And that work is now also gone. Oh, no. Yeah. So I was like, wow, this is a, this is a whole new level of uh, late to the party. Oh my gosh, the old dog ate my laptop routine. <laughs> exactly. And so I, I was like trying to like write notes and slide ideas on my phone on the plane. And that was just like kind of a miserable experience. Um, and so I, I only got a little bit of that done and landed and was like, wow, this is uh, really stressful. And so I contacted uh, the conference organizers and I was like, hey, 
um, just so you know, here's what's going on. I probably will be late to the conference because of this reason. And they're like, oh, if you need to borrow a laptop, we can, we can give you a loaner. And I was like, actually, that, that's, that's, let's do that. So I met them like the next morning at like 9am, grabbed a laptop, went back to my room and created a talk almost from scratch, rehearsed it, and then gave it at four o'clock. Well, how'd it go? Uh, it actually went pretty well. You're an old pro. <laughs> it, it definitely helps that I've done this a bunch of times. Um, I think it turned out pretty well. Um, the topic was uh, well received and I was, I was reasonably happy with it. And I, I have a pretty high bar for myself. So if I thought it was good, it was probably okay. So I pulled it off, but it was like basically the maximum amount of stress possible. Whereas like, I, I was like a little bit stressed about it at a low level the whole week at the beach. And then the stress increased. And then it like massively increased when I realized I didn't have the laptop to work on. And I also was ups- like frustrated because I don't like when speakers don't attend the conference personally. Like I think that's kind of like a low, it's like a, a low class move. Yeah. I yeah. Think par- part of the being invited is like being there and talking to people and, and experiencing it. Yep. And so I missed a bunch of the talks which was really frustrating. Yeah. Um, I felt guilty. So it was super not ideal. But in the end, it, there was no like disaster where it like, you know, the talk bomb. Yeah. Huh. Well, I'm glad it, it was happy ending. <laughs> that, yeah. that sounds crazy stressful, man. Ugh. Yeah, it was, it was not ideal. So the week after I spoke at uh, Southeast Ruby uh, in Nashville, and gave the same talk and that was it was like such a night and day contrast where it was like i know everything is already done and ready and i can rehearse this once and then walk out on stage and it was like man what a difference it's it's very frustrating to like where like this whole like i work better under a deadline um thing leads to like basically the, the most stressed you could be about the thing like you never get that that window of like oh the talk is done now now i can relax it's just like stress 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 then the talk happens yeah I don't feel like that's a sustainable way to operate. I feel like some people think that they're functioning better in that mode, but I don't think, I think we can do it in short bursts. Anyone can, you know, pull it out, but it's, it's not a sustainable way of, of working. So yeah, totally. Yeah. I'd like to say I learned my lesson, but I mean, chances are I'll probably do something like this again. If I had to guess. Yeah. Stuff happens. (laughs) It was, it was kind of like, you know, it was my own procrastination plus some bad luck that really turned it into a, a dangerous situation. Uh, normally, it's just my own procrastination, and then it, you know it's not quite so awful. Yeah. So that was the last couple of weeks. Now I am focusing on shipping. After this call, uh, I'm going to be emailing the list. I believe I sent the my like here are all the details email to Adam Wathen for a little feedback. He's going to get back to me, just as kind of like a sanity check. Um, I have some last minute content edits to do. Need to upload the course to Gumroad, which is what I'm going to use for fulfillment. There's basically a bunch of pieces that need to happen, all sort of small tasks like get the sales site launched and get SSL on that and then wire up the Gumroad purchasing and then uh, do some last minute checks. And so a lot of little pieces, but I can see the end. It's in sight. That's exciting. That's good. It's going to feel really good. Uh, So what's your email sequence like? Is it is it a handful of emails leading up to it to tease people into it or? Um, No, it's not. Um, As of right now. It's basically one email, which is like, here is, here are all the details. Like, hopefully this answers all your questions that you might have about the upcoming launch. So I was planning on just doing that. And then on Monday morning, like, here it is. Because everyone that's on this list has gotten, I think, five samples from me over a period of time. 
the people that have been subscribed for a long time haven't gotten one in a little bit, it might make sense to, as you're asking me this, like do like another like, hey, here is another sample kind of thing, or here's why mm-hmm. this course is going to be awesome. Hopefully, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. something like yeah. that might be worth it to just do at least two leading up to it. Are you planning to put any time pressure on your launch too, or is it just like now it's available, ready to go? So I'm going to have a list a launch discount for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so the price will increase at some point. I have not decided on that window. Um, I'm thinking about possibly just not publicizing what that window will be. So start and it's like, yes, it's a discount now. If you want the discounted price, you should purchase soon because this could end at any time. And then maybe like, hey, heads up, the discount is ending in X days kind of thing. I wonder if that would have the same effect. Like, I know if I'm trying to put myself in the position of a buyer, if I saw like, if I saw that there was a limited time discount, but I didn't know how limited, I'm not sure what I would, if that would encourage me to purchase sooner or if I knew when the end was, if that would have a more dramatic effect on my urge to buy. Mm-hmm. I feel like knowing the date might be a stronger sense of pressure. I don't know. Yeah, there might be. And the thing is, there will be an end date. So the question is, like, do I announce it up front or do I decide on it later? This is something I was like chatting over with Adam. Um, and he says his takeaway was he feels like he, most of the time he's made his discount windows like too short or he thinks like too short is kind of like a common issue. Like he says like a lot of people want to buy during the discount window. And then once it actually goes up, purchases fall off a lot. Um, but if you artificially limit it too much, you can possibly miss some people that would have bought during that. His suggestion was launch it, watch the sales. And when they start to fall off, then say, hey, the price is going up. Uh, and yeah. then that will hopefully spur another round of purchasing. Okay. And then you raise the that, price. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, which I, I kind of love the psychology of that where it's like, oh, hey, like sales are slowing down rather than cut prices, raise them prices. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, it's kind of awesome. Yeah, um, I like that. So I think I'm going to try that. So I might. I think I'm going to launch this not knowing how long the discount is going to be, but I will be just sort of keeping an eye on things and saying, okay, the pace is slowing down. We're going to wrap up this initial part and hopefully get another another burst of sales. Right, because you're using Drip for this, right? Mm-hmm. You'll keep track of everyone who has purchased, so then you can send nudging emails to anyone who hasn't purchased, right? And mm-hmm, exactly. use the... We have Gumroad integration, right? Yeah, we do. Yeah. <laughs> do you? <laughs> I think so, yeah. So you can... Good. Awesome. That'll be easy. Wire up accordingly. Yeah. Perfect. Cool. So I think I'm going to try that. I'll report back on how that goes. I'm excited to be able to have some numbers to talk about. Uh, it's been a while. We used to like... I remember I used to like share like FormKeeper upcase numbers all the time on the podcast and that was enjoyable. Um, someone I met at a conference said the same thing. It's like, it'll be cool when you actually launch and we can hear about how it's going and, and what works and all that. So I'll be definitely sharing all that stuff. Cool. Looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. yeah. The fun part's coming. Like I think next week will be like the, the best week of the project more or less mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where it's like, ah, it's, it's working. Money's rolling in. There's reward for the, all this work. Yep. At last, at last. Yes, exactly. Cool. Um, a few updates from Dripland. So if you go to our marketing site, you will see it is now served on drip.com. Woo-hoo. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's awesome. So it's finally public. I, I knew that this was kind of in the works for a while, but it was, um, it was being negotiated. And I think for a while, like the, the owner of the domain was not talking to us or something. So it's been a, it's been a fairly long process, but uh, 
it feels great to finally have the clean dot com domain. Um, I can snag a snag a Derek at drip.com and no one's going to call us get drip anymore. It's going to be great. <laughs> mm-hmm. I might still type type get drip out of habit. Yeah, well, that's fine. And you'll get there. It'll redirect you and probably move the app over to at some point. Right now, the app is still on getdrip.com and our marketing site's been on drip.co just because we haven't wanted to, we haven't had the the bandwidth to invest the, it's going to be relatively small engineering resources, but still like it's just another thing to do, you know, to make sure that we get everything redirected properly. So do you know and can you share what the domain cost you? Good question. I don't know if I can share that, but it was in the six figures, I'll say. Okay. So. Yeah, it was not. Sounds about right for a, a dot com of that nature. Yeah, and it it used to be. I think I mentioned this before, but it, it used to be a a mu- an indie music sharing social network that was then acquired by Kickstarter when they folded. <laughs> it's funny, like yeah, and it didn't exist when we started. So I think it was just a parked domain or something when we started out, and this thing popped up, and it was like fully branded around drip but it was for it was just odd it's odd to see some some completely different thing with your same exact brand you know but we were just like ah this looks like a startup we'll just wait for it to fold up and then we'll snag the domain we just kind of joked around <laughs> about that and uh-huh. <laughs> sure enough <laughs> and it worked sure enough it, it happened yeah so. amazing wow i feel like you've uh, you've arrived when you own your dot com i know i kind of feel that way too yeah it's, it's like super really legit. lends a lot of legitimacy yeah yeah. Cool. Imagine if you had that dot com when you were negotiating with lead pages. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. That would added like twenty percent to your uh, your purchase price. There's just some like built in value to that asset, you know. For sure, it's got cachet. Yeah, for sure. And let's see. Oh, another cool thing is so we've been we mentioned this from time to time on the show that uh, we're both kind of interested in Elm, right? And I may have found an opportunity to use Elm at Drip. Oh, nice. So, I'm I'm stoked about this now. Unfortunately, I can't really talk about the details of the project just yet. Actually, I caught your most recent episode with Avdi. It was a good one, the last episode, where he was kind of talking about like the, the the value of not writing code whenever possible, and that's kind of an approach we've been taking with this particular project. We've been looking around um, to see if we can find off the shelf solutions that would satisfy the need without us having to build our own thing putting in our due diligence on that, spending spending a few months kind of looking around at options and, and vetting them out and testing them out and seeing if they would fully satisfy our requirements. And that's basically turned up dry. So now it's, I can say it's a, it's a project that would require some intricate front-end interactions. And, you know, as soon as I started thinking about the problem space, I, I, I'll admit I get a little excited about the prospect of writing it in Elm. So, mm-hmm. um, cool. Yeah. I haven't watched it yet, but Richard Feldman uh, apparently recently gave a talk at ElmConf about teaching Elm to your coworkers, like or to beginners, and like introducing it basically. Yeah, I saw that and, and I bookmarked been, it. I haven't watched it either, but yeah. yeah same, yeah. But like, I, I keep seeing people saying like, this was great. This totally changed how I teach people. So yeah, okay. It might be worth watching before you embark on this. Yeah, totally going to check that out. Oh, I might as well mention it here too, that we, we recently posted a, a job posting for a front-end engineer specifically looking for any elm experience if possible to to help work really? on this project yeah so this so, is serious yeah it's serious yep cool it is definitely in the realm of a high business priority to work on this project so we look local first so if, if you're in the minneapolis st paul area please do apply we'd love to talk mm-hmm. to you <laughs> at what point do you think you'll be able to talk about what the project is um probably i would guess in the next few months 
it's something okay. I can talk about. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's a long tease. I know. I know. Okay. I hate to tease, but I want. I I just was so excited about the Elm part. I had to bring it up. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. It's yeah. cool. Awesome. Yeah. My talk at uh, Rocky Mountain Ruby and Southeast Ruby was about Elm. Yeah. And was it pretty well re- well received? It was. Yeah. Like my my the talk was kind of like what I think the future of programming will look like and what I think we should be investigating now. And it was a lot about how Elm helps you write correct programs and how I think that sort of programs that help us write programs is more or less the future. Uh, Not smarter brains, but smarter programs. I shared some experiences that I've had writing Elm and some features that I thought were particularly compelling. And I had a lot of people come up to me afterwards and say, okay, you convinced me. I'm going to try it now. I'm going to like try some sort of thing. So and it was that's so gratifying like i remember when i first started giving talks i was talking about vim a lot and i decided that my metric for success was like number of converts to vim and i'm thinking now it might be like number of converts to elm i am super bullish on elm and the more i play with elm the more i'm like yearning for even if it's not a full bore type system on the server side like something to to help me catch all the different failure modes or just different paths that a certain piece of code can take. You know, that's like, that's been so nice that you can just feel confident that you've covered every single possibility because if you don't, then the compiler will yell at you, you know? So now I find myself actually, I'm leaving a lot more, like, even if I'm not addressing each branch or each failure mode right away, I'm like leaving more breadcrumbs for myself in my Ruby code because I'm like, okay, I, I can think of all the things that Elm would tell me I would need to do with this code. So I'm just going to write every scenario as a to-do at, at the very least <laughs> so that I'll know that I need to address this before it ships. You know, I mean, it's impossible to get... Well, I would say maybe it's not impossible, but it's unlikely that you'll cover every case without a compiler helping you. So, Yeah, yeah. <sighs> I wish there were Elm on the server, but I don't, I, know. I don't have an answer to that yet. Yeah. It seems like Haskell is going to be the closest thing I can, that gets me what I want. Yeah, because I've read, like, I think the creator of Elm has talked a bit about, like, you know, there's like an FAQ of people asking, uh, when is this going to be available server side? And he has quite a few thoughts on it. And it's really practical and pragmatic. But he's like, you know, it's it's basically optimized for front end programming. And there's a whole lot of things that the standard library would need. And you would need a whole ecosystem to support it on the server side. And there are plenty of other languages that have much broader ecosystems so basically like it's it's unlikely to happen which i understand is rationale but now i just need to i need to find that thing (laughs) yeah same so yeah cool i'm looking forward to hearing updates on if this actually happens like what yeah what it's like to use it in anger yeah for sure for sure uh anything else for this week no, I think it's a bit of a lighter update for me. I've been traveling a bit. I was out in California for a wedding and, and actually found myself in the middle of the Sonoma wildfire, which was kind of kind of nuts. Um, <laughs> it was Sunday night and it was super windy outside. Wind was blowing and, you know, it was, it's odd weather over there because it's like a 40 degree swing. It's like 90 degrees during the day and then it drops down to the 50s and 40s overnight. So I didn't think much of it. It was just like, oh, it's, it was really hot and then it's been really windy and woke up to sirens in the middle of the night and was like, huh, I wonder what's going on because there was a lot of them. And then woke up the next morning and rolled over and saw my flight was canceled out of the Santa Rosa airport because it was, had been evacuated and, and looked outside and it was just yellow outside. And so if you hear my voice is a little raspy, it's probably still the, the smoke I inhaled <laughs> for the last day. 
fortunately, we had family come and rescue us from the area. We weren't in imminent danger, but was in danger of being stuck there because we didn't have a car. We just flew in and Ubered around. And of course, Uber and Lyft are non-existent in the natural disaster like that. So we were trapped without any means to move anywhere for a little while, except for walking. <laughs> mm. well, I'm glad you, glad you got out okay. Yeah, yeah. So back to, back to the grind this week. Yeah, I gotta I gotta go ship some stuff. I got yeah, work to do. Well, next time we chat, you will have launched and have some early numbers, I guess, huh? Barring a major disaster, that should be true. Cool, awesome, cool. Uh, if you'd like to access the show notes of this episode, you can go to artofproductpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.